Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. Here we are, Kenton. Hey, Thanks so much for coming on. Got it. I'm excited to talk to you. I am mostly because I don't actually know too much about your story. <laughs> Which is kind of surprising, you'd think, right? I know. Like, we've been doing improv, we did a sketch comedy show together, we've done so much, we, we work well together. We haven't avoided talking about religion at all. No, We've had some never. good discussions, just yep. never like a, hey, tell me about your story. Yeah, but now we're going to do that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to hear, I'm going to hear the whole thing. Can I tell you little bits about you that I know? And you can, sure. you can fill yeah. in all the blanks. Yeah, sure, I'm down for that. Okay, do I have this right? You grew up in Belize. You have that half correct in that mm-hmm. I turned 10 and then I moved to Belize. So, uh, zero to 10, I lived in Rhineland, Manitoba, just south of Winkler, which is south of Winnipeg and not too far from the American border. Very Mennonite. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very Mennonite. Lots of house barns, the old style. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 10, then my family and I moved to Blue Creek, Belize, which is uh, Creek, Mennonite Belize. colony down there. And, and Belize, if I'm correct, only has like 200,000 citizens. Is that right? You're pretty close. 350, I think it is, or 325. Yeah, it's tiny. Mm-hmm. It's right. not a very big and, country either, but it isn't. It it doesn't have a huge population density and, either. And, and you were a, a missionary family. Is that right? Again, mostly correct, but not quite. Only in that you have to get semantic about what a missionary is uh, to say that. So in many ways, it was similar to being a missionary, except that we actually moved to the community of Blue Creek that was wealthy enough to pay their own pastor. Basically, being a missionary is being sent by the church that you're home, and then you would go elsewhere, but you'd still be funded from whatever you call home is. Whereas we moved there, and we, my dad was just a pastor of a church there. He got paid by the church that we were pastoring for. Um, the community, and, and, and in many ways, it wasn't mission work in that it was a Christian community, much like Steinbeck or Rhineland or Winkler would have been, just we happened to be living there doing that. Yeah. Yeah. W- was your dad always a pastor as far as you can remember? And oh, then, yeah. And he still is or no? Yeah. He was a pa- I think he became, uh, I think he officially became a head pastor of a church when I was like 10 months old or something like that. Right. And he's been that ever since. So you're a pastor's kid. Yeah, very much so. Why, why have we not, we haven't really talked about this <laughs> yeah. ever yeah. because I, I, I'm the son of a priest. So <laughs> which, which those- would have seemed so foreign to me when I was younger because I would have never known anyone that really interacted with priests at all. I've been in like super Mennonite communities. So Christianity right. has been pastors, not priests. Yeah. So so I work at a barbershop and often I, it comes up that I'm a priest or whatever, but sure. I'll often say, I, you know, I'm taking on the family di- business because my dad's a priest. <laughs> yeah. And you, when you say your dad is a priest in our North American <laughs> society, people look at you like with a side <laughs> eye and I, and, I, and I go, well, he was... He was Ukrainian Catholic, and they can get married, which <laughs> <Yeah>. explains me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wait a second. Like, your dad's a priest. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> You're a problem if that's happening. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. Have you thought of asking your parents about this? <laughs> um, but pastors' kids, they got no problem. They got lots of kids, you know. Yeah, pastors, pastors tend, tend to have a lot of that. But yeah, we, yeah, my dad's been a pastor definitely as long as I can remember. And basically, I, there's no possible way I could remember something else because that's always been his, uh, been his job. Yeah. Was that always his primary job or did he have other work going on? The first 10 years when we lived in Rhineland, it was a 50-50 deal. And he had the most, <laughs> he was a pastor slash carpenter. So he was really uh, living the Christian dream right there. Um, yeah, so he, he installed cabinets for decor cabinets. And then, and then I was also a pastor on the side. Well, it was about 50-50. I think he did pretty even split. Well, you know, I know another carpenter <laughs> exactly. who was a pastor as well. <laughs> and that is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he wasn't um, just following in footsteps. He was following in footsteps. Right. So I'm assuming faith was important in the home. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And really, I mean, I'm breaking a third generation of being a pastor. My, my grandfather was a pastor and his dad was a pastor on my dad's side. So um, it, was, it has been an important part of my life in every area. Like my mom's family is all Mennonite Christian and, and so is my dad's family. So, mm -hmm. And really, I mean, like most of my uncles and aunts too, all of them. So... Like, there's not even, like, a black sheep wing of the family, if you will. It's just, it's entirely there. You guys are all perfect. That's right. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah. No, um, just the classic, like, uh, going away from the faith sort of thing that you often hear, and which right. is very common with pastors' families, tends to be, actually, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, growing up, it was I was always told that the pastor's kids are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're just the problem children. <laughs> and I and I and I went to church camp, and all the problem children were the priest kids that came along. Yeah. It's a real. It's a real thing. But the thing is, the pressure is there. I didn't actually feel it too much as a pastor's kid. Some pastor's kids feel it a lot. I think my parents felt it for us. But I know my parent. I know my parents felt the pressure that you would hear about, like. Um, there's a few things that really stand out. One of them is, so my parents never drank alcohol, like at all in mm -hmm. my childhood, obviously being, being part of the, the classic Mennonite faith that, that tends to be a thing in lots of more modern Mennonite circles. It's, it really isn't that big a deal a anymore to, so, to some level, but, but certainly with the, the, the churches, my dad has pastored, he just doesn't want to drive anyone away. He doesn't want he doesn't want anyone's reason not to be there because he's consuming alcohol. He just doesn't see that as a that's not a deal, a hill for him to die on. He does not care right, to do right. that. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think what's a bigger pressure, I think, is that it's also really hard for pastors to have close friends. Um, I, I definitely saw that with my parents, specifically in certain communities more than others. Blue Creek would have been one of them partly because they're not too far away from the old colony faith and the old colony faith was like the separation between elders and, and the regular people is huge. And it's a very domineering, uh, setup. So like, you don't want to do anything weird around the elders because you're going to have problems. Uh, that they're the ones who come down with the iron fist and they, they're so, it's such a there's so much basis on, on punishment in the church. So, so they're not, they're only like 50 years away from that. They're, they're very modern on most senses, but every now and then those sorts of things creep in, but people just don't befriend the pastor. Like, like you have him over for dinner because he's a nice guy and, and you, and you're, you're being nice, but he's not your friend. Like you don't, you don't dive into a friendship with him. You don't 
tell them the things that maybe, you know, their pastor shouldn't know about. You know what I mean? Like, so nobody. Right. You, you see you don't, that a You lot. don't sit around gossip and no. smoke smoke your cigarette in the backyard. Yeah. And, and you don't talk about, about the stuff that's doing kind of what on the in the edge. church. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So, so, so there's just a level there that I think my parents, that I've always noticed that like now I think is maybe the most that I can see my parents having like really close friends. And when we were in Rhineland, I think they did as well. But certainly then it was a bit of a challenge. It was a bit of a challenge for them. And then, and then I can under, totally understand why, why if that pressure is on the children as well, which I didn't personally feel, although maybe it was there, I just didn't see it or care about it. But I can see how that would re- lead to rebellion for sure. So you said you didn't feel any of that pressure? No, not really. I don't think my parents tried. Like my parents never, I was never told, and I don't know that most pastor's kids are, but I was never told anything along the lines of like, you're a pastor's kid, you should behave. Or like, you're really making me look bad. I, I never felt like my parents were offloading. They were, I don't feel like they tried, they certainly not audibly, they wanted us to do good and be good people because that's what they care about and it's so ingrained in, in them. But they didn't, I never felt like, I never felt like I had to be good to make them look good. What about issues of believing the right thing? Was there an emphasis on making sure that you're believing the right thing? I don't know that it would be, I don't know exactly what you're getting at. Only because like, yeah, there's always been an emphasis on them hoping, them wanting me to believe what they believe because they believe it. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like there was an emphasis on me believing what they believe for the sake of the church that they're pastoring. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm, I'm the, the reason I'm asked, the reason I'm asking that question is because I, I think there are a lot of young people who grow up and the pressure of believing the same thing that your parents believe, mm. whether your parents are actively putting that on you or passively sort of yeah. putting that on you can really affect how you actually perceive matters of spirituality later. So yeah. like yeah. it was basically, was there any heavy handedness in terms of what you have to believe? Like, were you sort of, it sounds like you were pretty easygoing with a lot of this stuff. I think I was, I think, I, I think I was pretty easygoing with a lot of stuff like this. There were, there were certainly some things, I guess that, that would have been, um, that would have been a little bit like what you're getting at. I think, for example, I felt, and I think it was pretty obvious, and, and I, I have no, I'm not at all bitter or anything like that, but I would have felt that my parents, I knew my parents really wanted me to do at least a year at Bible school after, after high school, and then I could do whatever I wanted, but they wanted that. So what is Bible school? Yeah, so I went to Steinbeck Bible College for a year. Um, there's a few different ways that that can look, but Steinbeck Bible College would be more of a it kind of falls between a discipleship school and a seminary because it's not a seminary in the sense that I couldn't go there to become, to get my, like you did, a, a master's of divinity. Right. Like, so a seminary being a school that's meant to actually develop clergy, like pastors and ministers and that, everything. Well, the, the thing is, that's exactly what it's for. It right. just doesn't have the degree aspect to it. The like, goal of, sorry, that's what a Bible school is? Yeah, so the Bible school, the Bible, yeah, exactly. So the Bible school is for that. The goal of Steinbeck Bible College, I think the technical, I think the their mission statement is to create servant leaders. So what they're doing is, what they're hoping to do, or their mission, is to create leaders in the church. Pastors, youth pastors, 
people who are just involved. They're not necessarily trying to, you know, get jobs out of the deal necessarily, but, but lots of the people there are, and a lot of my friends from there are pastors now, not all, some of them are went back to farming and they had uh, a good experience learning about God and, and the Christian faith in, in a more, um, in a more specific setting. So, so, but the goal of that is to create Christian leaders. And, and a lot of them is for pastors. The Mennonite church certainly has never had any sort of, uh, need for any sort of, sp- there is not like, you need to have this degree to be a pastor here. It's, it's great if you have good training. Um, usually there is some sort of training that goes into it of some sort of Bible school or seminary or something along those lines. And then usually there is quite a lot of discipleship in the church itself. And, and there would be, a, a and everything is kind of not a hundred percent by vote, but it's a lot by vote. Like a church says, this is our pastor. We approve of him and we accept him. And we're part of a larger conference in the EMMC. So that's the church I'm part of. We're part of a larger conference of churches. And there would be some level of the, the conference would be like, Whoa, I don't know about that guy, but that's really, really quite rare. Most of the time, um, most of the time, uh, the hiring process, they would be involved in the hiring process, but they would be all, all for, you know, helping the church find the person for them. So did you go to the Bible school? I did, yeah. I, went a, I did a year at, at Steinbeck Bible College. Yeah, I did a year there. And, and my parents liked Steinbeck Bible College. My dad went there and we live in Steinbeck, so, you know, makes sense. But um, like my sister, for example on the same kind of thing was like, uh, also felt the pressure to go to a Bible school. She chose to go to Cape and Ray, New Zealand, uh, Australia. Mm, that's nice. So, you know, like I could have done that if I had wanted to. And that was, that was, that was actually paid for. My parents made very, very little money in my lifetime. If I'm perfectly honest, uh, for most pastors, they don't make a lot of money. And my parents were definitely true to that. Also, moving to Belize was not good financially, and they knew that's going into it. But, uh, but they did have saved money to send us to at least a few years of school. Specifically, again, Bible college. They wanted us to do one year there, and then whatever was left over could be used for whatever other schooling you wanted. But, um, and so yeah, so Jesse went to Cape and Ray, and that was more discipleship, less uh, formal uh, school setting like Steinbeck Bible College is, because that has a more of a school type setting with lectures and whatnot. But. Yeah, I did one year at SBC, right out of high school, first year out of high school. What are some memories from SBC? Oh, man, it was a great time. I had a great time at, at Steinbeck Bible College. I did, le- I did learn a lot, but to be honest, the, the much bigger part of what I remember from SBC was I lived in dorm. Mm, so the partying, you know? Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> schlitzed every night. <laughs> Is that a Mennonite word? <laughs> yeah, Mennonite word for very drunk. But... There, no, back in those days, I don't even think they have this anymore. Back in those days, it's like eight years ago. Uh, <laughs> back in those days, my days, uh, there was actually uh, Steinbeck Bible College had their students sign an oath against drinking for the time that they were at Steinbeck Bible College. Yeah, like let alone being a dry campus. Yeah, it was a dry campus, but also you you committed to the school that you weren't going to drink while you were at school. Yeah, for those who, who don't know, I think Steinbeck only got its first liquor store how many <laughs> yeah. years ago now two or three uh, years ago no it's a little more than that but it would have been right around that time it would have been like 10 years ago like 2010 2011 yeah getting its first ever liquor yeah store. liquor market so yeah. like like dr- drinking is a hot button issue in steinbeck i feel 
Yeah, but amazingly, as as everybody kind of expected, it very quickly became not a hot button issue. Like, it, I mean, still certainly in certain circles, and and there's some very conservative churches down the street, and SBC still asks their students not to drink, but I don't think there's quite as formal uh, a policy anymore. Maybe there is, not 100% sure. But it's not quite as formal, but like, when, when people started, in the beginning, people would go to the liquor store, and they'd be like... <laughs> Like trying not to be seen, but who are you going to be seen by? You're going to be seen by the other people in the liquor store. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. It very quickly became, people didn't really care that much. And it's the most, uh, it's the busiest liquor store in Manitoba now. (laughs) Partly because it services a large area and there's only one of them in the, but still like it's kind of funny. So, so the, my other favorite part about Steinbeck. Okay. I've been there many times. My wife's um, paternal side of her family is from Steinbeck. So I've, I've come many times and there's, it's not a bar. It's a bar-style restaurant. <laughs> it's a very clear distinction that they draw. We're not a bar. We're a bar-style <laughs> style restaurant, restaurant. Yeah. Uh, called Sonny Beans. Yeah, totally. Sonny Beans was... And Sonny Beans was one of the only places that sold alcohol before the LC came. Like, there was I just, two restaurants in total that sold alcohol, and they were the only other one. I just want to say that I don't do advertising on this show, so I only make money off this show based on patrons, but I will make an exception for Sonny Beans. If they want to sponsor? If, if, they, if they would like to sponsor this show. A Mennonite-owned Irish pub from Steinbeck? If they want yes. to sponsor your show? Yeah. <laughs> they, they have the exclusive rights to advertise on my show. I just want them to know. Yeah. Otherwise, the only way this survives is through patrons. But, so yeah, yeah, that place Anyways. is an enigma for sure because it's named after some Irish, some famed Irish cannibal <laughs> named mm-hmm. Sonny Bean, who people mm-hmm. aren't quite sure if he actually exists or not. Mm. And it's in Steinbeck of all places. <laughs> I, it's I, I love it. I I've too. only been there. I've only been there once, and, I but there I, had a gra- I, had a, I had a great time. I had a great time. Used to be one of I love favorites. I love bar style restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's get back to some of this religious stuff. I have a question for you. Okay, hit me. You were a pastor's kid. You also went to Bible college for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, just a quick question before getting into my real question: uh, Do you still attend church services or yeah. a church somewhere? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We don't have to get into that right now, though. I will want to get into that later. Sure. But my question for you right now, relative to the pastor question, is. What do you look for in a good pastor? Like, what makes a good pastor t- for you now? Having the experience of having a father who is a pastor and having the experience of going to Bible college and having some, you know, preliminary kind of pastor training alongside mm-hmm. other peers. What yeah. makes a good pastor? So I'm going to fall back on... Um, Steinbeck Bible College's motto, because I guess that's what I've grown up with, but also I do see that more and more and more, and is certainly a theme in Christianity, I think, is the idea of servant leaders. Um, it also really works well in the size of church that most Mennonite churches are, the idea of a servant leader, simply because um, I think with larger churches, you have you have to be more structural. But I think that that is, I personally think that that's what is a good 
pastor. I think servant leaders make good leaders, period, no matter what they're in. But basically somebody who is who is like it is all about service uh, to the people that they serve. So it really is it's compassion and service and support of congregation for just being there. I obviously think that theology is very important. Um, and so I think, you know, well-studied and somebody who actually knows um, that has got some level of idea of interpretation, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're an interpreter, but, you know, somebody who, who understands how those things work. And, you know, I think that's very important. I think having that basis of theology is very important. But I do think for pastors, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is just being support for people and helping people and connecting with people. And I think that that is, I personally think that that's really what Jesus was all about, was really helping people and, and connecting was by far the bigger part of his, like he, you know, obviously there's a lot of passages about him speaking to mass crowds and whatnot. But a lot of the most, I think, I think a lot of the most impressionable stories about Jesus were it was how he connected with people one-on-one and listened to people and help them. And I think that's kind of what I think a good pastor should be. Mm -hmm. Are there any family or childhood experiences that you remember where you maybe saw your dad in action doing something like this? (sighs) Like generally lots, I would say. Um, Generally, I would say lots. Um, in a very specific capacity. I'm trying to think of like good examples. I think I think a good example is something that I've seen develop over many, many years was a relationship that my dad had with a, with uh, somebody who was kind of a, a bit of a 50-50 congregant at the church that we were at in Rhineland who um, was a bit of an older fellow, very, very bitter. Uh, and so I would say in all areas of life, that just kind of stuck with him. I think that was an, an issue that he had been dealing with. And who who knows where that came from? Actually, probably my dad does, because he got to know him quite well. But um, that was somebody that I think that he, his wife attended far more regularly. And I think and I think my I could see over the many, many years, I think I could see my dad, like, pouring into that relationship as a person, which again is difficult when you're a pastor because everybody thinks of you as a pastor. So anytime that you're nice, you kind of is sometimes written off as like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, you're going to try to convert me, good for you. Um, But he did, he poured, and, and years and years and years, we left for Belize, we came back, he wasn't really all that connected because we weren't living in Rhineland or even close to the area. And then near the end of uh, of this fellow's life when he had when he was struggling with cancer then that was then then my dad was the person he turned to like he my dad got a call out of the blue from his wife saying that he wants to he want he'd love to he'd love to sit down and chat and i think that that's the sort of thing so that's a con- that would be like a conversion story in the classical kind of sense of like <laughs> you know the story the stories people put on pamphlets about their church you know Um, but that's kind of, I think that that's kind of like, it was a, it wasn't about, it wasn't about my dad beating him over the head with something or 
being really amazing from the pulpit or any of those things. It was just about about being a, a friend and and never not never letting that go because the person was very offensive or or tried or was bitter. Like he he just he just you know he was just there as a nice person, and I think that that's that's something that I could say. I would say over the over the years I've seen a lot of a lot of stuff like that, but I think it's all over time based. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. My dad, obviously, I mean, he'd be the he's a good a good chunk of his job is to is to help and visit what they call it pastor visitation. Yeah, basically mm-hmm. visiting congregants and other people in in hospital is definitely a big part of their job, and that's that's obviously there. And but there's there's more than that. I think it's relationships. Also, my dad would be one of the first people to tell you that the support aspect of the job is not what he thinks he's best at. So that servant leadership is like, I think he serves, but, but like the support aspect, I think he, he would say that he'd, he'd be a stronger suit of his would be the studying and the preaching. That would be what he would think of himself as being stronger at, but he tries everything else. And I think it's shown. Mm-hmm. Are there any, are there any times where your dad would try and get you involved in some sort of like, would he bring you along to a pastoral visit ever? Or would he kind of try and get you to help out in, in some of those ways? I, I ask because uh, my dad would, every once in a while would sort of go out of his way for me and my two siblings, my sister and my brother, to to get us to to help in certain small ways, just to teach us. Okay, a little yeah. bit, right? So um, he would often bring us when we would deliver food to a family that that needed food, right? And yeah. he would, and I remember one time, my dad didn't even get out of the car. He said, you two go up. You deliver, right? So it wasn't mm. that we were walking with my dad. We actually brought the food to, to the people. Uh, yeah, my, is there anything my question like that? For you, I have a question for you about that. Yeah. In that situation, do you think your dad was trying to teach you about being a giving, serving person? Or were they trying, or was he trying to uh, use maybe, you to get maybe through he, to somebody <laughs> that maybe knew that you would that you would have a greater effect? I, I, I don't know. Like, maybe both. Okay. Right? Yeah. Or maybe he just really didn't like the people and didn't want to deal <laughs> yeah. with them. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I think, whatever. I mean, I, I have nothing. I'm no, no shame yeah. on all of those fronts, if that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, I was a, a lot of, part of a lot of those visits. Not usually not to hospital or anything like that, but like, you know, the amount of times that we were in a new community and my dad was preaching and got invited out or we we were trying to connect or they wanted to connect with a family that maybe was on the fringes of the church and that we, we were brought along. But I feel like it was more just we were brought along as a family because we were part of the family and we're going out for supper. Like, I would say that'd be far more the case than I was maybe used. I think my dad tries much harder to get me involved in the church nowadays than he did back then. He always... My grandma was one of those people who loved the idea, you know, of the, you know, of the, the church family that all sings together, they oh, all play yes. an instrument. My mm-hmm. grandma thought that was like, that's the, that's the ideal family right there. Yeah. And my dad never cared about that. So we, he never tried to get us into, into most of those things. There was a few like, you know, special numbers in church or whatever, which is a thing that happens in Mennonite churches. I don't think it's an orthodoxy thing, but... <laughs> but the idea of that sort of thing, we we would have done a few of that, but like not not we weren't that musical and we didn't care, so yeah. mm-hmm. not a whole lot of that. 
So it seems that you are relatively easygoing in terms of your religious upbringing. Like you would go to church, you wouldn't complain much, if I have that right. That's I, generally the case. Right. I, I think I was relatively the same in, in that sense. Yeah. Were there, do you remember any times of like conflict when maybe like you didn't want to go to church or they were going to send you to a certain camp and you didn't want to go to that camp or, or, yeah. or something like that? I fortunately grew up in communities where almost everybody went to church. So I never felt like going to church was the same group of people I went to see. Like they were the same friends I had at school. So mm. in it, that wasn't too challenging. It was a bit challenging in specifically in Blue Creek Beliefs because they were, they were closer to the old colony and old colony has, and you might laugh at this because I don't know how many services you have, but like, for example, old colony has like, like five services around Christmas. And they mm -hmm. have five services around Easter. And it was like, I don't have any problem going to Easter service or the Christmas Day service. But like, oh, it's three days in a row. Mm -hmm. I, you know, then, then I would have had his struggles with that for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was more when it was just like, this is a marathon. And I was interested the first day. Yeah. yeah kind yeah. of. I was kind of, I was kind of interested the first day. I, I put it up with it without issue the first yeah. day. One of the things, so Orthodox people have so many services, so church many all services, the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I went to church for like 14 days in a row surrounding <laughs> Easter this year, right? Like it, not this year, sorry, two years ago. This right. past Easter was the COVID Easter. Yeah. Um, and, but one of the things that Orthodoxy, so Orthodox Christianity is different than um, uh, the Mennonite tradition in that our services are much more liturgical. Mm -hmm. yeah. In that we we have a kind of a set service. We, the, most of it is sung. It's it's much more like uh, a musical, mm -hmm. right? Where where everyone is singing their parts, right? Whereas uh, a Mennonite service um, is a bit more uh, focused on education, with a few hymns thrown in. Yeah, right. And to do like four or five of those in a row would would be a, a little boring. It'd be like going to like a weekend conference with a bunch of speakers. It, it would be very much like that. And to add to that, when we were in Belize, specifically because of the, the group of people that were there, every other Sunday was low German. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember exactly how it worked around Christmas time when you'd have those like three, four services in a row, but certainly some of them were low German. And I didn't mm -hmm. understand a lick of that. So those were tough. Those were tough services to get through. Yeah. So real tough. Was there ever a moment in your life where you had to just take ownership over your faith, take the bull by the horns and say, this is where I stand, this is, or this is where I don't stand? Are you talking about like a moment that, that really drew me to faith, like, or pushed me back or made it real? Like, what are you talking, what are you asking about here? And any of that, right? So, so maybe... It was a moment where you thought, you know what, I I really like want to be baptized, or um, you know what, I think my parents are out to lunch and I don't want to be part of this church anymore. I know that's not your story, but um, yeah, like yeah. something along those lines. There were there were there would have been many many smaller moments like that that would have kept me in the church and caring about the church. Certainly, I was um, rebellious as a teenager, not rebellious in the rebellious sense. And by that, I mean, I, my sister rebelled like crazy. Like she would get in constant fights with my parents and like, 
she would disagree with them and she'd get in this huge fight and then she'd be grounded for like three weeks or whatever. And I just saw that and was like, seems like a lot of work. <laughs> I, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to hide it because if I hide it, then I don't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. I get to do what I want. Mom and dad are happy because they just don't know. And, uh, and we're all happy. So I definitely left, I would have, I would have moved a further away from the church at that point in, in high school, not necessarily because I didn't want, because I didn't believe in Christianity. I, I actually always did throughout that time. It was just, I didn't care too much about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it just didn't seem like a lot of fun. So that would have been the way I would have lived life then. And so that was more like the the slow kind of fade away without really leaving in any in any real sense. And also, again, it seemed like a lot of work to be like, Mom and Dad, I don't believe this. Just believe it and go to church. It's easier. Uh, so so there would have definitely been a, a sense of that for sure in, in that in that period of time. So in that period of time, then I would have slowly faded away and not and not done much church stuff. So I would say that there was a moment then, and I don't want to get into it too deeply, just because it's very personal, but I made I made a couple of really big big mistakes when I was in high school. That would have been in uh in my whatever the end of my 11th grade 11 year. So I made I made a couple of things that I was really ashamed of. And that would have been the times where because I never stopped believing in 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 Christ and Christianity and I never stopped uh in my faith there, then my way to be like, okay, I need to fix this bad. My way to fix that was then to go to the church. Um, and I'm really glad I did, obviously. Really, really glad I did. Because that would have been kind of at the time where I was at my, at my biggest, I would say, uh, furthest away from what I would think of as the Christian faith. And so, I, and so that really did push me back in the right direction. And, uh, and that would have led me then in grade 12. Then I would have been more so. And then after that, then I was like, okay, yeah, I'll I, I'll do this. I'll go to SBC. I want to I want to grow in my faith, and I want to solidify some of that stuff a lot more as I head into my more adult life. So, yeah, that absolutely would have been would have been a moment that that happened for sure. Hope you don't mind if I'm not so specific. <laughs> hey, I don't mind at all. This is your time. Um, are there are there any? So so you started taking your faith more seriously. Yeah. Late, later. You and I, we, we've hung out so much. We've even talked a lot about religious topics and stuff. Yeah, for sure. We, we've, we've never really gotten into like, well, we, we've never gotten into debates ever, right? No. Like it just doesn't happen. Uh, but are there any, like how important to you is our topics of like, let's say dogma or doctrine, right? The, the idea of having to intellectually believe the right thing. Right, because mm -hmm. I think there's an aspect of religious life which focuses on community membership, right? Yes, and, yeah. and and I think most most listeners to this podcast and most people in general can absolutely understand the need for humans to belong to a community that is all pulling in the same direction, right? Mm -hmm. Where where the debate starts entering is that different people put different amount of emphasis on like doctrine and dogma right? Needing to intellectually believe the right thing. So I just want to get your take on that in terms of how important it is maybe to your own personal life, maybe in the past or, or maybe right now. I certainly would have been, I certainly would have grown up with more of a belief that, that, uh, that having the right theology, the right Christian theology was important. 
not not just Christian, not just labeled as a Christian, but the right Christian theology. I didn't grow up thinking Roman Catholics were less than. No, nah, I probably did. <laughs> I, I don't think my parents necessarily ever said that. They just yeah. they just didn't agree with right that and, and that type of Christianity, and so I just kind of always assumed that it was less than right. So for our listeners, I think the for 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 Mennonites, sort of stereotypically, the Roman Catholic Church is like the uh, <laughs> the, the evil stepmother of Christianity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anything bad in the world is, you know, the Pope's <laughs> fault is, is sort of the thinking. I'm being stereotypical here. Well, but no, but I love that. I love the I love the way you said that because uh, step, step, I feel like that's a really funny comparison because it'd be like God is is dad, and you live with God, but uh, I just wish he divorced her. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> she's terrible. When she came into our life, she ruined this whole thing. Right. That's it's really definitely funny. like the the way that Mennonites might look at the Catholic Church. <laughs> Like the the further more old colony you would get, absolutely hundred uh, percent. I've grown all I've always grown up in a far more modern Mennonite communities, communities that have been more progressive, significantly not connected to the old colony ways, uh, and trying to distance themselves because there's a lot of nastiness there. Um, and so and so they in all the churches I've been in, that has been a slow fade away from that. Um. From the beginning to the end of the when I was at that church, that would have I could I could see the the lessening of that. That being said, in Belize specifically, because there's a lot of Roman Catholic, because it's Central America and there's a lot of Rome, Roman Catholicism, they they don't take Roman Catholicism very seriously because it's a culture and not a religion for a lot of people. To be fair, it happens the same way for Mennonites too. So, but you know what I mean? Like they see it as like, oh yeah, well he's not Christian. He just because he. Yeah, he was baptized as a baby, and he like he doesn't go to church. He doesn't do anything different. So, you know, um, so that would have been a would have been a definitely more of like a posh Mennonite thing of lording it over people. But yeah, no, I I think as I've grown up, I think I would fall as far as doctrine goes. I think I would fall in the like I do think doctrine is important, and I find it fascinating. I love having friends like you. And uh, I've got a few other friends, friends I've made at like Bible college, uh, one of my professors at Bible college who I've become quite, quite a close friend with. I uh, love having those conversations with him. I got a good buddy who I've done some theater with who's a uh, Roman Catholic and he's a youth, basically like a youth leader at a Roman Catholic church in town from Tennessee. There's Anyways, a Roman Catholic church in Steinbach? Super popular. Tons of Filipino people here. Wow. Very, wow. very, it's booming. I need to come for a visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it, yeah, it's booming. But again, because we've had a we've had a huge. It used to be that Roman Catholics in this area, just the French, a lot of French people in Manitoba, a lot of little small towns. All of them have a, a church, a Catholic church. But mm-hmm. the one in town in Steinbach was always like the small little brother to all of the ones in like Saint Pierre and La Broquerie and Saint Agathe and Saint Anne. But now it's booming because we've had a huge Filipino influx, and it's just, uh, a lot of Filipino people are Roman Catholic. So. Another connections there, but anyways, I think I think as an adult, I've I've come to, I love that, I and I do I try to strive for my own theology, my own theology. I try to learn and 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 broaden myself and deepen myself, and I try to connect with people that I really respect, people like you, I would say, uh, that I have had a lot of great conversations with. I think I've learned a lot with just because I don't think of myself as I, I have a very hard time being one of the studious 
learn all about about Christianity. I love learning about it, but I want to learn about it through conversation with friends kind of thing. So I'm not very good at the studying part of that. Um, and that's why I love having good friends that I respect and can can learn from. Well, in but the I, yeah, hit me. in the in the in the Patreon extended interview, sure. I'll ask you a little bit about your your non-negotiables in, okay, in yeah. terms of like the the things that you need to believe. And these are this is the line in the sand that I'm willing to budge on certain things, but I'm not willing to budge on on this stuff and and maybe we can get into a bit more of kind of the intellectual beliefs and doctrines and stuff like that. That might be a bit fun. But um I I I want to ask kind of another question to take us to the end of the the public side of the interview okay. here if that's okay can i can i fin- can i finish with one little bit yeah yeah absolutely okay so uh as far as doctrine goes i think i found myself in a place now and it happened over years but i found myself in a place where doctrine is very important but the church recognizing each other as important and on it their own journey as being more important. So I do think that there are people that I don't agree with theologically, and I think some of their theological beliefs are hurting them and the people around them and maybe even the society in general. But I think that I think that just being there for people and connecting with what they do believe, I think is I think finding the things that you guys believe together to be of more importance than holding up my own beliefs, I think, and my own specific doctrine. I think that's where I've landed as an adult. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes to you and says, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Kenton, but if somebody <laughs> comes to you and says, Kenton, I've had a spiritual experience, right? Okay. I, yeah. I, 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 I was awake and then I saw this vision and this thing happened, or um, I was driving in the car and, uh, you know, such and such happened and I was saved by an angel, or uh, I'm not sure if anyone's ever shared any kinds of these stories with you. My, my question is, what's your gut reaction when you hear a story like that? I have a perfect example of this. Can I tell the story? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, this is a very close friend of mine, um, like very, very close. A uh, very, very close friend of mine, ha- who who is never did not grow up in a, in in a Christian home in in any real way. In fact, uh, she married into a Christian home, uh, uh, but but maybe maybe a, a, certainly not a very um, not a very not a, uh, yeah certainly more of uh, on the on the kind of the looser spectrum of what Christianity is more more uh, ethereal kind of thing. I don't know if I'm making sense. But the point is that she married into a Christian uh, family, but she herself has had very little experience and hasn't really, she doesn't, certainly wouldn't, I don't know that she would consider herself a Christian. I'm not sure at this point in time, but it doesn't matter. The point is um, she had a close friend of hers that had passed away a few years before that. And she had, and she had, when we had a, we had this conversation and she was telling us, by, it was like a group of four or five of us, uh, all very close friends, about this, like, um, it wasn't a vision. It was more like she had been walking and she saw a rabbit run across the road and it was like, it, it hit her that this rabbit was like, I don't know what, I don't know the exact word she said, but something like he represents, she, the rabbit represented her close friend that had passed away, like a mentor of hers. And she had this, this peace that came from that. And it was this, and it was like seeing him again, kind of thing. That's a bad telling of the story, but that's what I remember. And 
she didn't get much of a reaction out of all of us. We all kind of were like, okay. And she was kind of flabbergasted that like, but she's like, but like you guys are all like spiritual. Like don't, don't you get this sort of thing? And I had this moment of thought where I was like, yeah, but like uh, for somebody who doesn't know any religion at all to then come to, let's say this, something like this, you'd say, well, that's spiritual so that you must connect with that. But somebody who's lived in Christianity their entire life and very, very Christian, you might think, well, there's a lot of people that claim a lot of spirituality that's not Christian and Christianity is the only spirituality that's real and this doesn't seem like it's that. And so that was kind of the, the connection that I had where it was like, it, what, my reaction in that case was a little bit like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, also partly because Mennonites have never leaned very heavily onto visions or those sides of things. They're very practical. Mm -hmm. The gifts of the spirit are pra the practical ones. The other ones are whatever yeah. they exist. Were, were you, um, was, was that your reaction because you were apathetic to it or because it seemed like a type of spiritual experience that doesn't connect with Christianity? Yeah, it seems like it, in my, in my gut reaction was that it seemed like a type of spiritual thing that was, that did not connect with Christianity and would have been far more akin to, yeah, the, the more of what you would consider like your classic pagan beliefs where it's all about nature and those things. So that would have been my thought. And it was like, that's not what I believe at all. So yeah, I don't connect with that. that what do you make said, of it now? Yeah. So, so that being said, now I think I would have more, I think I would have a more open mindset to that in that I think that like I fully believe God can and chooses to speak to people not to Christian people to people and that can be through a rabbit that somebody sees that that reminds them of somebody they used to know that was a mentor in their life that help that would gives them peace and helps them through a situation. I think God can do, I don't think he cares that you're a Christian to do that. Personally, I, th I think that that's kind of where I would fall on that. So now I would be, when, when I thought about that, then I thought about it later on and I kind of developed this argument in my head as to why I, I didn't have a reaction that made sense there. But then I thought about it and I was like, that doesn't, that just seems mean. Like it doesn't seem like I'm helping, like the, I don't think, I think that was a great opportunity. She's sharing a spiritual side of her life expecting with the people that she knows have a specific belief and she's opening up about it. And I think that that's why is, why on earth would God not speak to her? She's awesome. I love her. And she has Christ, she has close Christian friends that God, like if, if that's how it is and God wants her to be Christian, let's say, let's say that's what God wants in that situation. God wants her to become a Christian. Would the Christian people going, <laughs> how is that going to bring her closer to God? in any way, shape, and form. Where if they say, oh, that's very fascinating, or man, that's very interesting, and and tell me about that side of your spirituality, because I know that you, you haven't connected with spirituality very much. Like, how does this connect you with, with a being, and how does this open you up your mind to these sorts of ideas and, and, and push you in that direction? And how can you open, how can you be more, think about these sorts of things more and, to, and tune yourself to listening to these sorts of things in your life? So I, I think that that's kind of like a, it's just a really bad way to live is to think about those sorts of situations as like, well, that's not Christianity, so. Um, 
I think that there's more. I think there's more to more to God than that. So, yeah, that would be kind of where I'd fall in now. If you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview, you can head over to patreon.com slash priest. Your support is what makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?